thanks again for tuning into the Replatform podcast. Uh, you're joining myself, James Gerd, and my co-host Paul Rogers. How you doing, mate? Getting there after uh, yeah, lots of technical issues this morning, but uh, yeah. yeah, getting there now. It's been a fun week for us on the podcast, isn't it? Wi-Fi is crashing, inability to record anything, uh, loss of audio. Technology is great when it works. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Let's see how disrupted this episode becomes. So, um, just me and you today. We're talking about um, how to select a, a e-commerce agency partner uh, and what to consider when selecting them. So, yeah, this is we talked about this a lot. It's such a, a critical topic because it impacts everybody. Whether you're doing replatforming or you're selecting other technology or you're looking for a marketing partner, etc. So, what we're going to cover today is the risks of not taking selection seriously, key capabilities of a good partner, and how to find a suitable partner. Um, sound like a good setup for what we're going to talk about, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a really good topic. Right, let's start at the beginning, because I think for, for people who, who aren't as experienced in this um, and who might not understand why it's so important to, to put the time and effort into it, what are the risks? Why should you take it seriously? What happens when you don't put enough attention and focus on this? So I think... Um... I guess it's really easy to just, you know, so many agencies around with different levels of like capabilities across different platforms. Um, I think, it, you know, most agencies say the same thing in a lot of cases. So it's, it's really easy to make a wrong decision. I think the big thing for me, and this um, is not necessarily directly relevant to this question, but it kind of is, is I think it's really important to really map out what you want from a partner. Um, so we'll go on to capabilities later on, but when you're actually looking at capabilities, like I think one of the things that a lot of people get wrong is like they think they it's kind of that thing as to like whether you want a development partner, which actually a lot of it that's exactly what a lot of people do want, just someone that's really good at kind of the development and kind yeah. of knows platform inside out, or you know, more of a commerce agency, you know, the kind of holy grail of owning the roadmap, you know, proactively suggesting things, uh, that whole thing. And um, I think that's one of the things that can actually, you know, often lead to bad agency selection. Yeah, I, I, the key things I've seen that the issues that's caused if people underestimate the the time that's required and the thinking is you can end up spending money you don't need to by buying services that aren't best aligned with your your business and project needs. And that's waste. I've seen this before where people have signed up for packages they don't really need, they don't use, and it's burnt money. Um, you can also get a, a partner that doesn't have the right skills and experience. So they could be really nice people who do a good job, but for example, they're not experts at ERP integrations. And actually that's a big part of what you want to do. And they don't have the the um, skills to be able to do that as effectively as an agency that's done it 10, 20 times. And therefore they've got to build up knowledge within the project in order to cater that part. That can often mean that the budget goes up and also the project timeline can extend. Um, and I think the other thing is, and you were touching with only about knowing what you want is if you don't know your decision criteria, how can you be objective and how can you expect your whole stakeholder team in the business to be objective in evaluating and applying criteria, uh, criteria that aren't well defined? Because you then end up in it ends up being quite an emotional reaction thing of I don't like them, I do. And then it's really hard to, to boil that down to, OK, well, how do we make a decision then? Because we don't have these criteria to tick off and go well actually look there's our evidence of which one's better for us or not yeah. so yeah it is I, th- I guess it's an efficiency thing as much as anything 
Yeah, I think it's also really easy for people to think they want one thing and actually it doesn't necessarily match their team. And I guess that's kind of the role that me and you play with a lot of our clients is kind of like just like really extracting out what they actually need from a service provider rather than like what looks good or what sounds good. Yeah, I think definitely. I think as I've learned over the years as a consultant, playing devil's advocate in a positive way is really important. So it's not to say I know best and you're wrong. It's okay. You 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 want a, you want the the top of the market, the best, the biggest agency. Why? What's driving that? Yeah, because if it's just a vanity play, do you really want to be paying for that additional service? Is there an underlying requirement that that means that that's actually a right way of thinking? It's good to challenge in a nice way and say, hey, look, are you sure your 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 criteria are right for you and your business needs? Um, one one thing that we talk about a lot, and I know you feel quite strongly about this, is is pros and cons of RFPs and how detailed you need to go in terms of doing a request for a proposal. Um, you do need massive documentation, etc. What do you want to share some some insights in terms of when an RFP might be useful or not, and what are some of the the limitations of going down the RFP route? Yeah, so I think I personally, have, I used to do a lot of RFPs, and I now avoid them. And I much prefer working with a couple of agencies and like putting that time into like actually getting to know them, talking more about the requirements, talking more about like you know longer term plans, and like really getting a feel for like how they might approach things. So like more informal but maybe you know just allocating all of that time they might have put into like a response and you know thinking about the response everything else into like you know sitting in a room going through stuff um but equally the only thing i would say is usually those two agencies i've probably worked with before so i don't have to like gather all of that information um i think the right the way rfps are really useful is where you've got a business that's doing something new and they actually don't have that context around the partners and i think it is quite a good way to essentially get like um, um, a set of um, information on those agencies it's like unified that you can actually like judge against and get a bit more of a feel as to like how they meet the kind of requirements for the project um, so I do think there's a role there but I think just if the like if I was doing like you know a Magento project or a Shopify project I would probably avoid it where possible but equally I do I can see how it can be valuable. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And I think times have moved on in terms of, of formality of process to, to being a bit more flexible in terms of what you're trying to achieve. And I go through this a lot where I say to people, okay, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge is splitting replatform, picking the technology vendor, because the technology is the enabler. And if you have the wrong platform, then it's going to be a lot harder to achieve what you want to do operationally or to get the right functionality or to do it in a cost-effective way or to have the right admin tools for the teams to use it day-to-day in anger. Once you've got that, I agree with you that the next bit then is more of a a cultural and a capability fit. And, And if you know the agency landscape, that's where you can add value to say to people, look, you don't need to go out to four or five people based on on the profile of your business and the type of, uh, you know, part that you need. There's one or two that fit really well and you can speed things up. And sometimes also companies already have an agency in mind that they they know, I work with a, a client in the charity space and they had an agency recommended to a Magento agency who'd worked with um, a few other organisations that they trusted and had really good relationships with and had very good project delivery experience and really good service experience. And that that credibility that, that those references gave them um, made them want to work with that agency rather than go out and find another one 
where they didn't have that same level of validation. So I think it's horses for courses that there are times when you don't need to do this. And there are other times where actually that extra level of due diligence might be required to get internal teams to, to buy in and sign off on the project. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I guess the other use case where it is essential, I see it in some businesses I've worked with are a bit more traditional uh, and have uh, structured procurement processes in place actually an RFP has had to take place in order for the procurement um, stakeholder to sign off um, because of the governance structure of the business. So sometimes governance structures demand an RFP, even if it is a functional box ticket exercise. Yeah, I think um, I worked on one big project of a government organisation a while back and they were forced to run an RFP and they had to run it via this kind of government portal. And I think that's such a horrible process. And it ended up like a really bad outcome where they essentially had two options. They were forced because they were they went into it uh, with two platform options. And they were actually forced into the... Uh, platform decision in the end just based on one partner being ruled out for some of the things that was in there that were in there yeah. um, uh, you know it's a really good point because in certain circles um there's litigation around not running um proper rfps people can actually put in complaints if they're not being considered and think right. they've been disadvantaged um and that, you know a lot of big uh, in some industries in in like uh, manufacturing and construction etc the rfp is an essential part of the tendering process yeah. i think another use case where i found it in, uh, useful i did it with a client where they they were in in had investment uh, in the background where they were looking to bring investment in and one of the advice i gave them is that you're going to be investing in a platform you don't yet know what who the investors are going to be or where that's going in order in order to, to to seem credible at that level with potential investors, you need to be able to demonstrate structure and proper business rationale and thinking and a business case for it, because that will give them the confidence um, and that can help with the investor relations. So sometimes it's a, a documentation and structure play in order to, to make your business look um, you know, how you need it to look for a certain goal. And I think uh, that can apply to stakeholders as well. I did one where we had to do it purely to have like a paper trail because there's a particularly uh, diligent stakeholder essentially. We already knew that he was going to scrutinise everything we brought to the table. So we kind of, you know, had to run it. Yeah. My, my advice to people is, is regardless of what size of project, what your needs are in terms of having to do stuff to get things kicked off, is there's a minimum level of, of, um, of kind of scrutiny which are disciplines of rfps that you should follow and that is having clear criteria for selection and having a minimum set of documentation to back up um that selection process so you know i've done this before where you have um a build out proper cost model and have a cost model comparison now and then you have a um a weighted decision matrix based on the functional needs and you evaluate and make sure that you've been able to just say yes we've assessed this criteria and have confirmed that, that that we've got the coverage we need. I think doing that as a minimum, even if you don't need a formal structured process, it just gives you peace of mind and also means if anyone in the future comes in and says, well, why did we do this? You don't have to sit there and try and remember what happened in a project 12 months ago. You've got the documentation there saying, well, here you go. This is what we did and this is why I made the decision. Makes sense. Um, right, with that in mind, let's get into the more exciting part of the discussion, which is key capabilities for a good partner. So that, what, what have you learned over the years? What makes a good partner and why? So I think this is um, I think this is a really big one. You know, I know you 
you've put some really good ones here. For me, I usually spend a lot of time assessing the project team's like experience and kind of experience with the platform, um, you know, experience of delivering other complex, similar projects. Um, and that's usually where I would spend a lot of time i guess just and i say the project team rather than agent rather than the agency because obviously like you know agencies will share knowledge between people everything else but actually the project team is key and i think that the main points of contact for the client as well as part of that project team so usually like the be it like a an essay or a technical team lead or whoever is gonna um, be the main kind of technical problem solving contact uh, contact I think that person usually has a massive influence on the project um, and then any kind of day-to-day PMs etc as well um, and dependent on the project like maybe like any BAs etc um, yeah and then ideally you'd have a view on developers as well um, and any kind of creative people that are working on the project but that's my first one I think that's really important. Yeah 100% agree it's got to be project basis because that what are the what are the biggest risks that could screw you up in terms of project delivery timelines, budgets, success and failure? Yeah, I mean, a, a good example of that is uh, I worked on a project where there was a a separate B two C and B two B platform, and there was a lot of inefficiency in terms of of managing the two because of all the different backend processes, data flows, um, and one of the big challenges in in the project was bringing B2C and B2B into a single platform and how they manage those storefronts and, and you know, the custom requirements in the B2B side and ha- finding a partner who had gone through that process of consolidation before for another business to deliver a single platform but with multiple channels effectively was was one of the, the big risk factors and that had to be evidence and there had to be demonstration of how that was handled, what the key what they learned about the key risks for the client, how they helped the client through the process and what the client needed to focus on. Uh, and that really helped get the, the client team bought into the right partner because it's like, right, you've gone through this before. So you yeah. know what we're going to face. So yeah, definitely agree with you. Uh, what what else? So after that, you go through the, the team capability, this specific skills match. What, what next do you look for? I think, uh, and this does vary massively depending on the client, but the one that I've put here that I think is quite topical at the moment and currently as important as anything else is capacity. Um, so particularly within Shopify, so most of the projects we work on at the moment Shopify, um, I think capacity actually is like you know as important as like the agency's overall credentials and experience and everything else because you could have the worst experience with a big agency or the best experience with you know a much smaller agency um, and I do think that's really important I wouldn't say it's the most important thing um, but I would say it's something these days that you really need to, to kind of do due diligence on. Yeah exactly so you're talking about capacity as in yeah, availability, like, you know, how many other concurrent builds? Because yeah. like, you know, yeah. a lot of these agencies are winning so much work at the moment. They're growing so quickly. Um, and I think anyone in most agencies in the e-com space fall into this. Um, but, you know, people are kind of doubling in size. You know, that when you're kind of doing more builds, there's more people going into retainer. You know, key people within the business are more stretched. Like, I've definitely seen this a lot. Um, with agencies basically where they've grown really quickly and then um, it does impact um, 
kind of delivery or you know they've just taken on a little bit too much work and, and it happens to any agencies you know even our agency on the paid side you know there's been periods where we've probably got a bit too busy or maybe there's like an unexpected amount of work and then it impacts delivery for a while and I think that's just something you need to do due diligence on. 100% I think linked link to that is team size and balance because are, are they top weighted bottom weighted do they have a good distribution of skills from leadership strategic thinking um, to experienced subject matter experts to more junior teams but but whether you have extra bandwidth to, to drive through velocity I think that's critical because you don't want everyone to be a thinker and not have people who are able to execute and execute that skill to a good standard there has to be a blend of those skills but he, and this comes back down to what type of partner you want because some businesses they don't care about strategic thinking they've got a lot of senior um, strategy people in the business they understand where they're going they just need a highly reliable technical partner that's got all of the core technical expertise and can deliver at scale and to the speed they need versus others who aren't quite as experienced and want that additional level of insight and support advice guidance rec you know input into road mapping etc so that team size and balance is really important alongside that yeah and then um like you said i think um and this goes back to that point of knowing what you want but um some of the ones in here where there's a few more variables is like yeah that strategy piece or design is a big one so there's an agency that i really rate called code in the netherlands who you know they are a technical agency they don't really do design but they can demonstrate you know like a level of knowledge in around things like performance you know they've got various kind of bits of tooling internally that kind of help them from a technical perspective they'd almost definitely be paired with like a design a third party design partner um and i think you know that comes back down to like knowing what you want or if you're doing design in-house etc um but yeah i think um that's another one that um i guess it depends though like you know there are and a lot of people do want one agency actually i think i'm just going for a bit of a phase at the moment um but you know a lot of people do want design and development together and i guess if you if you were looking to assess design you, yeah you need to kind of go through the portfolio you need to talk to the agency you need to validate all of that kind of stuff because the other thing is it's a lot of agencies have got a great portfolio but actually you know there has been external inputs into design or you know the designer that's delivered half of their best sites has left etc like it all needs due diligence yeah it does and i think the technical capability is an important one because there are two elements on there there are process discipline and standards so how well structured are they? How well do they understand the, the alignment of different uh, development resources to, to push work into streams, into sprints, to release planning? Because the control there's got to, you could have great developers and crap process all the other way around. So you've got to validate both of them. Um, but also it's about how hot and proactive are they on where things are going and learning and improving. One of the areas you talked about it just a minute ago about performance. And this for me is an area that I always encourage clients to push on is you can write beautiful code, but if if the way that the application is set up and uh, is not efficient, or if the way that it, they, they've, um, they've, they've built out the back end and integrated with things like CDNs and all of the myriad of configuration properties that go into influencing performance and speed etc are not understood and thought through you could end up having a great looking website that is slow or certain elements of it so like maybe when people get into checkouts or other um, user journeys it slows down and it's not very uh, good from a customer experience point of view so increasingly pushing in areas like that say how you know how detailed is your understanding of what you need to do at back and front end to get speed and performance nailed 
think that um, a sub point to that as well is um, kind of account management and proactiveness. So I think that, for example, that performance piece often, you know, a client might come to the table and they say, I want three different, you know, personalization vendors, all of which have their own kind of third party JavaScript, things like that can slow the site down. You want a lot, in a lot of cases, you want someone from the agency to be like, no, you know, we've used this before, we've used this before, we've used this before, or, you know, here's a yeah. way around it. Um, that's another one. And then I think going back to your last point, I think delivery is probably right at the top for most, in a lot of cases. Like, yeah, actually like planning, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of agencies that aren't brilliant at managing a timeline or kind of, you know, um, I guess given visibility of like completeness, all of that kind of stuff. And I think that QA like some of those bits you know can be really important as well yeah what one question I like to ask people um being the annoying consultant in the room is talk me through your end-to-end process so I'm a client I've given you a brief um for a new piece of work and give them an example like okay we want to in we want to integrate or we want to to enhance um shopping lists to create multi-list shoppable list whatever it is how do you take a brief from us? How do you scrutinize it? How do you ensure that the brief, you've understood it? What process do you go in internally for assessing, evaluating, and knowing what the uh, development requirements are and proposing it back? And how do you plan for contingency? And so to understand the thinking process and who gets involved, because I think that's really important, because come back to that point you made earlier about you know, the account lead side who's able to say, look, okay, great, you want to do this, but there is actually a better way because we learned this and we found that doing it like this might improve it. It will cost you an extra thousand pounds, but actually here's the efficiencies. You want to know that there is a process that will tease that out rather than someone just taking a brief old school, which is got your brief. We're building what you've asked for. And actually it's not the best thing for the client. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I do think QA is another important one. Like there's a, a key question that can often be really like it's, it's an easy question to ask, but like just asking like what their standard like processes are around, you know, which devices, browsers, operating systems, et cetera, they're um, testing on. Um, because a lot of agencies, you know, there might be like some level of developer testing on Mac Chrome. Um, but, you know, that's actually not really that valuable or relevant to the client. Um, and I think that's an important one to kind of dig a bit deeper on as well, because that can actually make a big difference and it can save your an agency that's got proper testers and QAs can make a you know can save your team a lot of time yes. and help the project to actually be delivered on time. Oh, completely. And, and actually, that's such an important point because the quality of the QA team will influence the the um, strength of the relationship going forward. So I've seen this in a client recently where where the developer was just trying to keep up with the client's pace and was just churning stuff out, but clearly the QA was not being done properly because so much stuff was getting staging that was inaccurate and it, there were obvious errors in, in some of the releases and all it did was erode trust in the development quality and it ended up with a client getting really pissed off and angry uh, and that took time to rebuild um, that relationship to the point of trust so yeah I, I'd agree a, a solid QA process and also the, the, knowing that a development partner will, will be willing to fight back and say that's not the best thing. No, we're not going to get that done by Tuesday because we don't have the time to do it properly. It's going to take this time to do it well and being strong enough to manage the client back. So you know, depending on, on who you are as a business, finding a partner that's stronger in terms of managing your expectations rather than just doing what you want can be really important. 
And um, independent on the platform or tech stack, you might also want to be thinking about things like automated testing, regression yeah. testing, hand testing, et cetera. Yeah. Within that. Yeah. Um, another one for me that's really important and often overlooked is the cultural fit. Because if you find a great partner who can deliver work, but you don't get on with them, uh, there are communication barriers, you know, you do, it's not an enjoyable time to pick up the phone or go to meetings. That can erode the relation, the partnership over time. It is a partnership. It's a strategic partnership. So finding people that you just gel with, uh, to me, is it is important. I mean, obviously, if, if they don't have the technical capabilities and the skills and the experience, that's not good. But assuming that's in place, finding somebody who you can just get on with can often be the deciding point in a um, RFP process anyway. It's, well, actually, we just like them. We can't we can't rate them technically any better, but we like them. Yeah, absolutely. What else for you? Anything else? So we've talked about the technical, the resourcing, the team structures, expertise, cultural fit. Um, what Anything else for you in terms of what you look for? So you've got community written down here, and I think uh, I'd go as far as like ecosystem, I guess, because... Um, particularly in the Shopify and big commerce worlds now, you know, there's there's these big ecosystems. You've got all these different tech partners. The actual role of the development agency is, is being reduced as a result of all these additional third parties that are relied heavily on. And, you know, having experience with, with those um, and, you know, being able to input into conversations around all the things around the platform, I think that's quite important as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, again, it can, for some people, they're not so worried about it and they just want somebody who can do work. Uh, I, for quite a few of the business, I've worked with a lot of charities and for them, because they don't have big internal e-commerce teams, knowing somebody is has an active ecosystem there, they contribute to the community and the, there's an element of thought leadership gives them that extra level of reassurance because they feel like that person is helping to shape rather than just follow. So yeah, yeah I, I think the ecosystem and, and, and how they contribute in terms of thinking can be equally important. Um, and the last one for me is, is where you talked about in terms of scale and resourcing, which is I completely agree with, linked to that is where you fit in the portfolio. It's like big fish, little fish scenario. Do you want to be the biggest client um, and therefore you know, you're critical to their portfolio? Are you happy being a smaller um, part of the business, but part of a wider ecosystem? Like, What do you want to be and why? And there are pros and cons to each. Like be, being the, the, the biggest fish, um, can be uh, a bit of an issue because often you're the one who's helping to, to lead their their innovation and you're not getting as much learning from, from businesses that are bigger than yours that are helping drive um, you know, roadmap items down. Um, but the other way, other way around, if you're too small, you can sometimes get absorbed um, and, and not get the best resources. You might feel like you're not getting the attention and that you're not getting the, the best um, skills because they're being dedicated to the bigger clients. Yeah, actually, I think that one's really important. Like I've, yeah, I've seen benefits from being the biggest, but I, in my opinion, never want to be someone's smallest client. There's usually very little benefit, unless it's maybe in a situation where there's, you know, a lot of proprietary technology and things like that. Um, one of the other things that I would say is it's important to be to do kind of due diligence around what the agency expects you to spend over the next three years. I yeah. think that's often where a like post-launch, yeah, I've seen a load of clients do, you know, go through a really good build process and then really fall out of the agency because they're like under-prioritized or, you know, they're spending four grand a month, but the agency, you know, isn't interested in a client that doesn't spend 150, 200 grand a year. And I think that's something that always needs to be factored in. And then the ongoing retainer generally, just like how that's approached, managed, 
um you know like yeah like how, even how like releases are managed all of that kind of stuff um i think is something else that needs to be discussed and yeah because clients have different like some you know a lot of our clients right now get frustrated around lack of organization but equally some of our clients want less organization it just needs to fit again like you know the the two sides need to kind of marry up and that just needs yeah. to be part of the selection criteria yeah so let's let's um go on to our like final key topic which is due diligence and we both believe strongly in this is is you've got to once you've selected someone you've got to really then do a final due diligence process to make sure that it's almost to challenge your own bias, right? Are we really making the right decision? And that's why when we talked about earlier about having clear criteria, decision criteria, start whether you're doing a structured or informal RFP process helps you here now because you can you can work about whether you've lost sight of your vision or whether you're actually uh, making the right decision. So I'll start with one. Like for me, and I know we talked about this um, yesterday when we were planning this podcast, is testimonials an agency will only ever give you testimonials that are positive they're not going to send you a client that's pissed off or they had a bad relationship with that's just never happens yeah. therefore getting testimonials from an agency fine you do learn something but you've got to go and get your own you need to go and speak to somebody who's not incentivized or has not already said yes i'm willing to be a testimonial go and hear from people use your own industry sources um be transparent about it. i always say to agencies i say we are going to speak to people who aren't on your testimonial list for obvious reasons um and don't i would never disclose who because it's confidential yeah. but it often reach out through your networks find somebody who knows somebody half the time when i've done this i've reached out to people i know whether it's you paul or someone else and said hey you guys got contacts here i'd love to have a chat with the head of e-commerce or the ops director to ask them a few questions are they willing to and i've had some i've had some brilliant insights from people over the years from some big businesses who've given me you know warts and all pros and cons uh, objective feedback and that really helps you to, to to make it and also it can sometimes reveal some things you hadn't thought about in your selection process where you can then go back and go hey actually we've got to validate these two things before we sign off on this yeah absolutely yeah, i completely agree with that i always talk to other clients that maybe haven't been given as a reference or more clients um, i think that's really important um i think you know, we talked about the project team i think that's really important like really getting an understanding of you know, what other projects those people have worked on, you know, how long they've worked for the business, um, level of experience, how they work, all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, for me, the in the level of project we work on, the agency PM is usually pretty critical. Yeah. Um, that person, you know, doesn't work in a certain way or maybe, you know, is too stretched or you know, not experienced enough that will massively impact yeah. the, um, the delivery of the project. Definitely. One of my favourites is um, just go asking the the uh, agency pitching team and say, right, what's gone wrong in previous projects? What did you learn and how have you changed the result? And, and can you tell me things where it went wrong because of the client uh, and how you had to manage that sensibly and also where you guys cocked up and you had to handle that and own that? Um, because if anyone says, oh, we've never had a problem, I don't trust that at all because no project ever runs 100% smoothly. You know, I know having done you know a shed load of these projects, I've made mistakes and I've had to face up to that and learn from it and realize why I made it and be honest and transparent about it. So knowing that somebody will be willing to admit to something and work to fix it is such an important quality. Yeah, agreed. What else for you then? What else do you do for due diligence? 
Yeah, so I think you like looking at the client's portfolio, um, you've listed it here, but I think, you know, how they've approached certain things, looking at, like, you know, how they've maybe worked around some of the weaknesses of the platform, you know, performance, accessibility, um, creative, if the agency is responsible for creative, um, you know, maybe how, how a site's progressed from launch, all of that kind of stuff. I think that's really important. Looking at the relevance of some of the sites within the portfolio, how complex the builds are likely to be, all of that kind of stuff. Um, um, I think that's the uh, one of the obvious ones. Yeah, definitely. And my, my final, I say final, it's not. There's obviously there are more you can do, but the, the the last one of my key areas I push for is asking around the development and project management community to get a feeling about the place and their standards of practice. I, a good example: I've got a, a good friend who's a a project director and has worked pretty much exclusively on hybrid projects over about the last ten years. And whenever I've and I know the kind of agencies work with, and whenever I've needed a little bit of feedback around those agencies, and some of these agencies are hybrid ones who work on hybrids and other platforms, um, I go to him and go, right, what, what are they like internally? Like, how, is it chaos? Is it well-structured? Do clients get a really good service? Are there any gotchas I need to watch out for? Just off the record feedback. Because if if all developers who work with agencies say it's built on the sand and the development practice is crap and that's why we left, it's a red flag. If they say, hey, look, I loved working there. It wasn't perfect, but do you know what? They really do try and do their best. It gives me a level of reassurance because developers can be uh, can pretty, pretty, pretty savage sometimes about talking about um, processes and, and controls. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so that's what our, co- our core points um, on uh, you know, selecting and finding the right partner. Lots of interesting stuff discussed, hopefully, um, hopefully interesting for you all. Paul, what would be your kind of like wrap-up takeaway point? We talked about it, but just be diligent. I think just go beyond, you know, a normal sales process. Make sure that you're kind of really getting an understanding of how an agency fits long term you know yeah talk to as many people as you can really look into the project team all the stuff we talked about really just be diligent yeah i think that's a really nice some make sure you have a structured process i always say this and it doesn't have to be complicated but just know know why you're making a decision and if you don't know why you're making a decision don't make it until you do basically um better to slow the process down than end up regretting it six months down the line um cool so thanks as always for listening keep an ear out for the next episode and let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover look we'd love you to subscribe if you haven't already or to give us a rating on apple spotify youtube no, we really appreciate it it helps us it also um the more we get then the more it encourages us to keep doing this because we know that the content's proven useful um and yeah look forward to to you joining us again next week For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.